Kathy. And I'm Justin. And, and this, this is, is Comicsverse. Welcome to another episode of the Comics Rush Podcast. This is a very special episode for us because not only did we celebrate our third year anniversary this week on August 11th, which is actually two days after my dead grandmother was born, but who I love a lot, but... Um, related. Okay. It's, it is related. Uh, it means something to me. Okay. Uh, so, okay. All right, Kay. But, uh, yeah. Sorry, again, Dad. Again, this episode is our 50th. Um, yeah. Isn't that crazy? 50 fucking episodes, Yeah, it's Kathy. a lot of episodes. It's, yeah. It's a lot of Jean Grey for you, isn't it? <laughs> it's a very magic. Um, and speaking of Jean Grey... Uh, Nolan is here, who also hates Jean Grey. So you, um, you guys can have like a Jean Grey hatred hate fest together. And he lives really close to here. And he's getting his PhD at Columbia, and wow, you got your master's at Columbia. I did. Yeah. Which is not so as that validates his hey, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed with both of you. Okay. All right. Anyway, as I was saying, literally feels like yesterday um, we were like doing shots of tequila, and uh, you're trying to teach me like those ballet positions. The ballet positions. Yeah. I fell asleep <gasps> on the floor of your bathroom. Which is not my <laughs> <Did> you, <laughs> Actually, that had nothing to do with the podcast. Did you learn how to do a plie? Everything. Did you learn how to do a plie? I didn't. Did we do plies? Please, we weren't just on the positions. Yeah, we just didn't get much farther than that. It's hard to people turn out as a difficult concept. Yes. Yeah, you did a good job. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, men don't have childbearing hips, so they should have good turnout. Yeah. You know what? Just hey, don't judge that, my hips. That up there. Don't judge my hips. I do miss your pirouettes, I have to say. Can we I get... can do another. Oh, you can? You can do a pirouette? I can. I feel like they can only happen during X-Men podcasts. Uh, that's not I true. Know. Okay, okay. <laughs> I know because you love X-Men so much. Um, Me too. But, you should uh, have a ballet dancer X-Men. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. I, yes, anyway. Okay, I I, 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 can you wait till the part where I'm like, hey, can everyone else speak? Just kidding. I love you. <laughs> well, um, you know. I it's know, okay. you know, you know, I love you. Just quietly. Um, sorry, Alex up. isn't here. I have no one to be mean to, so I'm just going to dish it out to everyone. That's Travis okay. Is across from me. He's not even on this podcast. No, it's okay. It's, I'm an asshole too. too. You're not an asshole. You're, okay, you, you can like go now. Uh, I'm, <coughs> all right, fuck you. Where okay. can we find comics first? I'm not even. The excuse me. Okay, <laughs> just for all of you who are listening to this now. Again, I like to apologize for how however you found this podcast and are listening to this. But I have a really nice script that I've written, and um, people are rushing me to get to my parts. So anyway. As always, I'm your host and Comics for CEO, Justin Alba. But in all seriousness, this podcast would be nothing about my very good friend and co-host. And now, Marvel Comics editor. Uh, well, assistant editor. Assistant editor. <laughs> yeah. Kathy Wisniewski. Um, nice. How are you doing, Kathy? I'm doing great. That's very cool. And uh, before we introduce the rest of the cast here today, yeah, do you have a favorite uh, podcasting moment that you can bring up here on our 50th episode? <laughs> They've all been pretty great, uh, but I think... Uh, uh, okay. No, it's been fine. Okay. Come on. <laughs> but uh, the, the American Born Chinese one, I felt like, was a really good conversation where a lot of us were vibing on the same kind of level. Yeah. And we had a lot of really good conversations and so many people hadn't read it before and they were just thrilled with the experience. And I thought that was a really positive, fun one. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, if you guys haven't... Uh I've heard of Gene Luen Yang's American Born Chinese, one of my favorite comics of all time, um, probably my third favorite comic of all time. Before we introduce the rest of the cast here today, like I said, I do miss the pirouettes, <laughs> but I, I also liked uh, the top 25 couples podcast we did, which you actually, we weren't on because you were like, away on vacation or something, but uh, if I don't know if anyone here remembers, Travis, you might remember, oh no, you, you remember, but you left at this part, but Josh couldn't say Archie, Betty, and or Veronica, and Kay, you listened to the, uh, um, you remember, yeah, you heard the the bloopers from that reel. So uh, like I said, for those of you who missed that, check out the C 
series, and uh, one of the episodes has the blooper reel attached. It's ridiculously funny to uh, hear Josh not know how to fucking speak. And where can you find comics first? Kathy was asking, and uh, I, I, yeah, you, I, I'm curious as well. Um, so you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com, on Facebook at facebook.com/comicsfirst, uh, at Twitter at, at comicsfirst, um, Tumblr at comicsfirst.tumblr.com, and on YouTube at youtube.com/comicsfirsttv. A lot of people are actually listening to our podcast on Stitcher, which I didn't know. And uh, for those of you who don't know, we're also on iTunes, Spreaker, and uh, we'll be on iHeartRadio very, very soon, I hope. So without further ado, let me introduce the rest of the cast for our 50th episode. Woohoo! Yay! Again, I say woohoo. <laughs> woohoo is, is a good term. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I feel strongly about it. Uh, we have some new voices that I'm, I'm really excited about in addition to some uh, seasoned veterans. So first, welcome Kay. Hello. Welcome. Uh, Yay! A comics first rising star, if I do say so myself. Oh, hair flip. Yeah, hair, a, a, a ray of sunshine in a sea of swamp. Oh, I see. It's a lotus. Almo- it's almost like you knew where this was going. I did, yeah. It's like you planned it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, we do tape about four or five episodes in one sitting and uh, what about once a month? So how does it feel to be back a second time, Kay? I like it. It always feels like boot camp. <laughs> not not that like I've been to boot camp. That doesn't make any sense. But it's kind of like, you know, it's like when you had to do rehearsals when I was I used to dance. It's kind of just like you devote a whole day to just doing right. that shit. And it's kind of fun because you're just like, it's also easy just, just to be like, I'm blocking that day out to do things and then you just and then it's just silly everyone's just silly and chill and you get to talk about what you like anyway and I think it's I was really looking forward to it and there was so much reading to yeah. do but yeah I didn't realize that every swamp thing uh issue was like a lifetime literally it was like the Iliad I mean I didn't mm-hmm. I had no idea not in a bad way no it, not in a bad way the Iliad was good like every classic <laughs> Greek title I think it's just that it, like we didn't realize how I mean, we should have known because it was Alan Moore, but it's like each volume was such a commitment. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, my God, I'm living like six different marriages. No, totally. I'm so glad gay marriage passed because otherwise Swamp Thing and I wouldn't be together right now. Um, Yeah. Because it was like that much of a commitment. It's a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, next up is Ms. Jamie Rice, who we call Ms. Jamie Rice all the time. Or, or, or Or do I just do that? I call myself that because that's my Twitter handle is Ms. Jamie Rice. That's how it started. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, oh, I forgot you, Comics First Editor Extraordinaire now. Yes, I'm so happy. I, I know, it's promotion. Totally, and you do so well at it, too. Oh, um, yeah, so how are you doing? I am lovely. And uh, up here in Oklahoma. <laughs> nice. Is it as hot as it was last time? No, it's 90 and it's super nice, which is sad when you're saying it's 90 and it's super nice, but it is. <laughs> so uh, are you ready for some Swamp Thing today? I am super, I was so swamped getting ready for today. <laughs> Ah, that was a. Uh, I see what you did there. Clever. I see what you did there. So you know, although you've been kind of new with us, Jamie, do you have a favorite comics verse podcast moment that you want to share for our fiftieth episode? I'm gonna say my favorite moment is that when we were filming the X Men podcast, we had to do it in two batches because life is difficult and interviews are hard. Right. And we came back for the second part. I think it was midnight or one a.m. and we were all exhausted. And I don't remember what you said, but you made me laugh so hard that I. I was crying and I remember you looking at me and you're like, what the fuck's wrong with you? And I was like, <laughs> I can't fix it. Cause I think, I don't know if we were talking about the chicken and um, I think the chicken and the egg was like the first hour. When that we was came the back, first yeah. hour. Maybe the second hour. I don't remember what the thing was. There was no, another. Big, yeah. You were definitely killing it. The second part of like, you were like, 
even acknowledged. You were like, "This is my stand-up moment right now," <laughs> and you were like killing everyone. No, and- it, was, it was like a it was like a roast for the comics versus. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you were so shitting all over Alex too, which was awesome. I know. Oh, it's like I yes. have to take a shit, and where is Alex to use his human body to wipe myself? I know it's because like, he's, he's the only here. one who's like resilient enough to take it because he's just like so cocky unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Joining us for the first time, uh, Columbia University PhD candidate and our lifelong comic reader, right, Nolan? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, commit to that. Uh, <laughs> Nolan Benson is here. And uh, so nice to officially meet you. Cause this is the first time we've actually like talked kind of as face to face as we've talked yet. Yeah, only on the internet. Uh, right. By text before. By text? By messages. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. In my day, we called them instant messages. <laughs> but I know that day has passed. I yeah, am. AIM. We were on AIM. We were on I AIM. Asked who what your age, sex, and location were. Right. And I said, oh, uh, no. I said 24 female in Beverly Hills. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's how the conversation started. I feel like I'd be perturbed by that. Um, Sorry, move on. Yeah, no worries. Uh, You know, it was a perturbing thing to say. Of all the things I said, that was the most, by far the most uh, um, controversial. Yeah. Um, It keeps us in check. Okay. Yes, exactly. But, you know, anyway, I have written down here a funny Nolan story because this happened yesterday and I thought it was pretty funny. Um, Believe it or not. Wait, uh, so was it a funny story that you thought was funny? Can I say my fucking funny story, please? Uh, uh, this is my thing. This is the uh, this is the Jay Leno portion when no one ever fucking says anything in the beginning of the of the thing. Just kidding. Okay. It's called the cold open. It's okay. Yeah, you're I'm, you're you're throwing me off my game, Kay. You're throwing me you're throwing me curveballs. I can't do this. I'm like the that like music person, but without all the music things. <laughs> also, the music person is usually really encouraging. He's like, ha yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am the opposite. Yeah, opposite. Boo. <laughs> no, Justin, no. Travis, you're not even fucking on this podcast. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Um, okay. Malia liked that. She did. Malia, Malia and Jamie are the only people on the planet Earth who think I'm funny. Uh, That's like literally yeah. not true, but let's move on. Okay, we're moving on. Me and Kay are having funny eye story. contact laughing about everything yeah. you say. All right, I need to tell this you fucking funny Nolan story. You're funny. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Um, let's validate Justin. Okay, Kay! <laughs> Oof, this is hard. It's like fucking 20 minutes already. I haven't even gotten to the fucking introductions yet. Yeah, um, let's get to them. Yeah, no, well, I'm telling my funny story. Okay, so believe it or not, during Hell Week, podcast Hell Week, which I now call this, I actually sleep with my phone plugged in so that when people message me on Facebook, um, I can wake up and answer their questions no matter how tired I am. So I got a uh, Facebook message from Nolan on Friday, which I was like, okay, cool. Cause I said I was going to get, I told him that, I, you know, I usually check in with people the day before, which I always do. And I was like, oh, how conscientious. I was like, someone's checking in with me first. And I was like, oh, that's so awesome. And I was like, you know, so I forced myself awake, just like Storm was forced awake during the Dark Phoenix saga by Professor X when they were uh, fighting with Dark Phoenix in the last scene. And I uh, go to my computer and he was like, I'm really drunk and uh, I'm ready. And I was like, cool. And he added me on Skype, which I was like, oh, this is good. Let's get all this stuff done beforehand so we can start on time just as like we did today. And he's like, so when are we starting? And I was like, starting what? And uh, he was like, the podcast. And I was like, oh, I was like, that's in 24 hours, hours, right? And uh, and then he's like, what? And then I was like, what? So then I was like, shit, people are coming over in three minutes. And like, I started opening the schedule and I'm like, where the fuck is everyone? Like, no one's here on time. It's 12 o'clock. Brian's supposed to be here. Where the fuck is Brian? And I start realizing that I have um, the same uh, time telling abilities as uh, George Bush when he would call Tony Blair at like 1 a.m. and stuff like that. Yeah. So Nolan was so excited to be on the podcast that he was a day early. It's like my whole my whole point of this. So thank you, Nolan, for being so conscientious. Well, you know, it's it, we're 12 hours off here in Taiwan, but like it's hard for me to remember whether we're 12 hours ahead or 12 hours behind. So that's why, like, that's why I made the 
a mistake. No, I understand. Um, I like that he uh, messaged you to say, hey, I'm really drunk. Let's do this. <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's how most things should start. That's how most cool. things should start here. It's hey, I'm really drunk. Let's do this. <laughs> is how most things should start. All right. Yeah. So. Okay, so moving on from that lovely story, which is... I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought it was a yeah. funny like story. It, it was a funny story that was funny. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Can I get more... Val- Travis, any validation for me? No. Yeah. Oh, no. smile. Now you can talk, Travis. Not, not, now you're not talking. I gave you permission. No, you cannot have a microphone. Okay, fine. Yeah, we can hear you. He's wearing a Batman t-shirt. That was a very lovely story, Justin. Thank you. I enjoyed it quite immensely. Cool. I, I gotta say, I was distracted by my phone game. So I only heard like the last half of it, but it was a good punchline. Mm. There was no punchline, but thank you. It was a funny story. Funny stories have punchlines. Can we start this fucking podcast? You told me to talk. I never said that. Okay. You just, I'm just kidding. Is this a bit we're doing? I'm, yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit, I promise. Who's um, on first? Okay, ready? Okay. So before we get down to business, I want to use this time to quickly, quickly give a shout out to some of our most loyal supporters. Uh, since it's our 50th episode, Josh White, been with us since before Comics First was Comics First. Thank you so much. Um, Carrie Lehman, thank you so much for all your encouraging words and opinions on Facebook, which reminds me, in addition to Facebook.com slash Comics First, we have a group on Facebook that we all belong to. Uh, Facebook.com slash group slash Comics First TV is the URL, so please join our group and engage in conversations with your favorite Comics First panelists. Uh, we're all on there, and uh, in fact, uh, Kathy gave me quite a nerd smackdown yesterday. I didn't. You did. You were, well, I, that wasn't a direct actually, no one you. came to my defense. Mm, yeah. Well, actually, no one was smacking down my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> How come what? Uh, no, it was the, um, I was like, oh, I can't wait for this. Um, I was no, like, no, I was like a little were, child. Yours I was, was like, a very balanced opinion. It was like, this could be good. Right. Yeah. And you were like, no, this could never be good. No. Fuck this. <laughs> and I was, I was like, like no. the problem with internet is that there's no tone. It wasn't your idea though. Like, no, it wasn't my idea. No. Yeah. And you had already, other people had already said, I don't think so. And you were like, yeah, probably, maybe not. But and your, your opinion is the only ones that matter. No, it's not true. What's a good idea? What's a bad idea? What? Uh, a female centric, uh, adaptation of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, well, it already is female-centric. It's about Wilhelmina Harker, you know. It is female-centric. Yeah, it, it depends what they mean by female-centric, though. Like, does yeah. that mean that they're recasting some of the parts? Like, uh, often when, so, yeah, I assume that it was the kind of typical thing where they would go just too gender far. gender-bending, yeah. Yeah, and so that didn't make sense to me. But yeah, it is, if you do it right, Mina Harker's the main character, which was Nolan's point. Mina but, right. Yeah. Well, I actually enjoyed my nerd smackdown because I, I am into a little, you know, sadomasochism. So oh, it was but great, just yeah. if, if ever I nerd smackdown you, you'll know that. No, it's happening. <laughs> <It's> so true. <laughs> All this right, is so, so related to Swamp. It thing. is. So actually, we're talking about Alan Moore. So it is. Okay. Yeah. I, every time you say that, okay, like my blood pressure like rises. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Points. And uh, you know, it's not good for people with diabetes. Okay. So finally, we want to give a shout out to uh, PM Snow Raven on Twitter, who always retweets our stuff and supports us. So uh, thank you, PM Snow Raven. I wish I knew your name, but I don't. I'm not sure if you're male or female i'm leaning towards male if you're female it's totally awesome hey whatever um that's but okay thank too. you so much yeah female's okay too <laughs> female, and not if you don't know if you're male or female this is the place to be listening to that kind of podcast right because yeah right yeah you could be a chicken or a fly you'll find your home you could here. be a hybrid between the two you could be exactly all right so now that we have all that sexy business out of the way it's time to talk about alan moore's swamp thing cue applause 
Yay. So why did we choose the origin of Swamp Thing? So first off, for our 50th episode, we wanted, I'm talking so fast, for, we wanted to go back and celebrate some of our most popular podcast series. So take a look at our origin stories podcast from a year or so ago, where we uh, cover Wolverine, X-23, Emma Frost, Apocalypse, Magneto, all in one episode that's 37 minutes. I don't know how we did that. And uh, who else is on there? Sandman, Spawn, Green Arrow, other people who I care less about because they're not X-Men and a whole lot of other people. So people really enjoyed that series. So I thought, you know, why not have have another uh, origins podcast when talking to Kay about Emma Frost. So the only thing was, is that some characters' origins bared such further inspection and deeper discussion that, that we realized at the time. So now we're just focusing on uh, one character per origin story for the next few episodes. Um, so we're going to be or- doing origin stories for, you know, I think about up till uh, episode 54. So I hadn't read Alan Moore's uh, The Saga of Swamp Thing before. And after reading his entire run of the comic, I have no idea what took me so long. You know, in my opinion, and I do not say this lightly, this is arguably one of the best comic runs like in comics that I've read and you know I'd say you know of course that's up for debate and we're gonna have that debate now but first a little background Nolan it's you're breaking your comics first virginity both in this podcast and by doing your first summary um let me know how much it hurts punctured b card in 1984 DC decided to resurrect its horror title Swamp Thing which had never been that successful before. And to hire the kind of unknown British guy, Alan Moore, who had basically never lived anywhere besides his hometown in semi-rural England to write it and uh, to put it on their Vertigo imprint, which was not a big deal at the time. And he had the idea that they were going to make it truly horrific and not seek Uh, Comics Code Authority approval for the comic in order to deal with more kind of subversive and disturbing themes in the comic. And they decided to go with it. And he spent, I don't know, less than six years, though it's six volumes, writing it and established for himself the kind of career that eventually resulted in, you know, major comics stardom and also established himself as the kind of mentor to the quote-unquote young British authors, Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, and Neil Gaiman. He's like there, like, you know, he's like the the previous generation, like they're the Gandalf to their Legolas, Aragorn, and Gimli. And then the actual plot of Swamp Thing, it's not... I mean, he himself is turned from like a science hero who's like the tragic result of a mad scientist or uh, a good scientist being attacked into this kind of like incarnation of nature itself, like a champion of nature who defends it from existential threats in hell and in space, and who also sees the introduction of some other major characters, including John Constantine, uh, just as supporting roles. Uh, He saves his girlfriend from hell, and then later he saves her when she's arrested for fraternizing with Uh demi-humans. He saves her by convincing Batman that that law is unjust. That's the best. Yeah, very Mm. important moment, I think. You shouldn't whisper into that. No one can hear you. Sorry, no one what? A very important moment in comics, I think. It is, yeah. And we're giving it all to do now by whispering into the mic. Very cool. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Alan Moore's reimagining of Swamp Thing's origin. So... I try to stay positive, so I don't want and don't mean to start with a negative, but uh, was anyone not shocked about the discovery that Swamp Thing isn't Alex uh, Holland, that Swamp Thing is, frankly, a bunch of plants that ate Alec Holland and believe that they are him? Wait, are you asking 
Did anyone find that surprising? Yeah, I mean, did anyone? I, I was shocked by that. Was anyone? I mean, that was I thought was a really big reveal. Yeah, no, I thought that was a really interesting and necessary reveal. Yeah, for sure. Like, I think Alan Moore, um, just to credit his talent, it was nice just because I didn't see, well, because I definitely couldn't see it coming. But it's one of those things that if you look at it retroactively, it's like, yeah, of course, it like wouldn't have made sense any other way. And like, you kind of just are like, yeah, of course, like, of course, that's what happened. Like, he can't be that person anymore. And it's interesting that like consciousness is just developed among nature. And like, I, I don't know, like, I thought that that like retroactively, it made perfect sense but when you first read it you're like oh my god and like it's perfect and it's everything you want it to so yeah I was also surprised Kathy how about you I would totally agree that like as you're reading it it's such an intelligent reimagining of a sort of typical you know silver age hero origin story that it like even though it's sort of a surprise and unexpected it just seems like oh that's the smartest thing you could possibly do and I, I think it's done in a way that is really the, the mystery of finding the plant organs is really intriguing. And it also sort of pokes holes in things that you hadn't thought about before. Like, yeah, what is he like inside? Why haven't that? Yeah. Um, and then uh, it opens up avenues for totally different conflicts than you would have if he was a dude that was in a freak accident, which is, yeah, one of the things that Alan Moore does really well. Is he starts with this frame that you're used to and then goes places that you never imagined. Jamie? I think I'm just going to echo kind of what everyone else has said, but I think that what you're saying about how it's kind of an Alan Moore thing to do, I think it takes something that was kind of a revenge narrative and then turns it into a philosophical discussion about what makes you human and what makes you a monster. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of, Kay and I were kind of talking on Facebook mm. about this before and about how I would want to be friends with Alan Moore because I think he would take apart everything I did in my life and right. <laughs> deconstruct it and then say how it's awful and actually ruining people's lives. Mm -hmm. But I think that he kind of did that with the concept of the swamp thing, especially with the poking the holes and the things that you never thought about before. And it led to that really great issue, the anatomy lesson with mm -hmm. the Fluoronic Man. I think I said that right. Yeah. So but cool. I think that everything that happened around it led to a great story in addition to the fact that it was a cool reveal that made way more sense than, oh yeah, like a monster ate him up and now he's Alec Holland again. Yeah. What about you, Nolan? I think another way in which is typical Alan Moore is that he, it incorporates the way that reboots happen all the time in comics and it takes the reboot, it does the reboot better than most people would do it. It doesn't erase the original origin story and replace it with one that serves his ideas better. Instead, it like advances that and starts from the actual last moment in the last run of the comic. So it like really like it's really conscious of how comics work and it doesn't shy away from that and it and it uses it effectively. And also another way that it's typically him is the one way he does change the old origin story is he makes it a little more kind of like dark and he makes the corporate element more like evil mm -hmm. and more um, just more like subversive and less kind of stereotypical, I would say. I mean, also, like, just to add on to what you guys were saying, I mean, I wouldn't want to meet Alan Moore either, but not only because I he would... I want to meet you, Alan, so if you're listening to this, you can come over anytime and like, smoke some weed well, and we can chant corners like in the movie. I think I would be terrified by him because he, like, his storytelling is able to deconstruct everything and make it seem like not only that 
something is extremely meaningless but extremely meaningful so like you would feel so infinitesimal but also just like oh my god I'm responsible for everything and I don't think I can handle that I'm much more partial to ignorance as wisdom being like I don't know what you're talking about like like just no but also like I think it's really interesting because as Nolan was saying, I guess it's one of his earlier works, like it's before he was, he mattered basically. And it's so funny because I couldn't think now, even retroactively, I can't think of anyone who would write Swamp Thing most appropriately because he does have that kind of understanding or appreciation for how nature works or like the ideologies of like how nature is like this weird, pure like monstrous yet very human thing that we interact with all the time and he like interprets and tells a story so like I don't want to say perfectly but so like appropriately and he I don't like aside from like Neil Gaiman maybe I couldn't think of anyone but just because you know Alan Moore is that like not even hippy dippy but like that kind of dude who's like philosophical and thinks and like takes hallucinogenics and like all that stuff it's kind of funny to like think like yeah of course he would be good at this like of course he would figure this out like it would just make so much sense because in a word like Swamp Thing gets really trippy but it just goes so much further than that because he's just like I said before he's able to ride the line between meaning and meaninglessness and it's so awesome it is so awesome and to me this is one of the I don't know if anyone disagrees with this but it's just one of the best comic retcons ever in the sense that he used the story before. I don't know who was saying that. Was that Jamie? Nolan. And uh, you guys look so like to me. And so I just love the way he sort of like weaved this in. And I, I really enjoyed the spiritual elements he brought to it too. Even with Floronic Man, you know, the interconnectedness of all the, the plant stuff, mm-hmm. I thought was, was really, really cool. So I also thought Alan Moore captured uh, beautifully the moment when... Uh, again, the, the moment when he realized he's not Swamp Thing. Now I'm talking about sort of the specific panel, and he, you know, he realizes Alec uh, Holland is dead, and, mm-hmm. um, and 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 he's this ghost version of himself. Mm-hmm. So obviously, this isn't something you know we can relate to literally because you know none of, none right, of us are of plants, not. yeah, um, yeah, except Brian, and you know, so I am Groot, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Brian, if you were a plant, what would you be? I already know. Don't answer. A um, tulip. <laughs> I think you'd be a fish. You'd be a marijuana? Succulent. He would be a succulent. That's so right? accurate, Jamie. I don't, but people would love me. Like, and like I have a, I have a real, I have a real construct where I want people to like me. Right. Doesn't and need that much that's water. That's the most beloved plant in the right world now. by everything that I can say. Right. So. Pumpkins are very beloved Boom. as well. You wouldn't be a pumpkin. No, they're not. I love pumpkins. I've been fat I my whole life. I have I to be fat in my plant afterlife. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to carve Brian out and like make shapes out of him, though. Also, hi, everybody. And make pie. Yeah. All right, guys. Now, now. Things are getting crazy. Things are getting He's crazy. He's a succulent. Um, He's a succulent. Yeah. But Brian, if you were a pumpkin, I would make pumpkin pie out of you because you're just so fucking I don't, sweet. I don't want to ingest um, you, though. Yeah. Isn't that murder? Okay. Raise your hand there if you're There is a uh, spit or swallow. <laughs> no one else is. There's Shut a the spit or swallow thing uh, with that <laughs> yes, suggestion. Jamie. Why does everyone... Um, see, see, there's Jamie thinking of funny and Malia both laughing at the same time and no one looking at me with disdain and Kathy I'm terrified not looking at you with disdain. I said no one. Is your name fucking no one? What? Now you guys are confused on who you guys are. Okay. Um, well, I was confused listen, about who okay, Brian and Alex were. Okay, when fucking deep, you're like, at you. It's not, it's not a time too funny. This is deep time. Okay. Please go back to the plant issue. Holy to get shit, sleep. yes. Plants. Okay. Sleep. Um, gets to the heart of get the sleep. No, okay. Into the soil. Oh my God. Um, this is a great fucking place to work. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, we can't relate to being a plant. No one here can relate to being a plant. Except Brian. No one. No one is a plant. No one can do that. We're human beings. We're not plants. No one's here. Okay. That's it. Um... <laughs> 
end of podcast. Okay, so but, okay, okay. <laughs> stop laughing. Here comes the deep fucking part. Okay, I'm sorry. All right, but did anyone find themselves uh, stuck in a kind of contemplation, or was I the only one? Because I thought about what a discovery like that uh, about myself would feel like, and, and I guess because Alan Moore's writing was so good, I couldn't help but think about how I might react to finding out something uh, that huge about myself in my personal life or something like that. So can I answer? Or am I in the dunce corner? Um, you're not in the dunce corner, but when you're Kathy, you can answer first. Okay. Yeah. Kathy. No, go. I'm just kidding. I'm Kathy. Now go. Wait, what? <laughs> answer the question. Wait, it's like oh the whole life that I knew about myself. It's not true. And Kason is me and I'm not really. Me. It's almost <laughs> as if it's you're realizing if. you're not yourself. And I'm just a plant. I'm, <laughs> God, I feel like <laughs> this is what it's like to be a pumpkin. And I think, yeah. I, I thought you'd be more of a squash, personally. A squash? Yeah, you don't green? You don't, you'd rather be a pumpkin? <laughs> no, I don't know. Squash is good. Okay, I It's a good I love, I love squash. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. Uh, definitely, uh, it's, it's another instance where Alan Moore is, like, shining a light on something that we probably hadn't thought about. Like, what what is it like to even inhabit being a plant? And so... Like one of the things that I think is really touching about that scene is Swamp Thing is having this realization that the motivation that he had before, which was partially to find a way to become human again, is totally gone. And so something that he'd been chasing for so long was never possible and will never be possible. And I thought that was particularly an emotional realization, even more than the idea that he isn't really who he thought he was. Just the, the thing that he had been fighting for for so long was taken from him. Yeah, it's hard to relate to, but you definitely sympathize with the character. Right. It's really powerful. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in uh, in our next section. But uh, uh, Kay, what did you think? Yeah, I guess just to add on to everything, I honestly felt really connected to something like that just because... Like, just in a metaphoric way, I kind of related to that just because Swamp Thing is able to, like a lot of characters that we know, is able to kind of make something that we're all very cognizant of all the time very alien because he's not something that we are, like he's a plant. But those feelings that he had of like, oh my God, like what you were saying, that like his motivations have changed or like the reason to keep going has changed. So because of that, I think that if not now, we all will encounter a time where we're just like, oh my God, I was working so hard for this one thing and I realized it's just not what I fucking wanted. I have to just change who, like, who am I even? And like, it's not, maybe it's not as, you know, as severe as realizing like you're a plant and not Alec Holland and you have like these memories, but it's like that weird part of you that's still like, like all the memories are there and you like experienced all of it, but it's not you anymore. And just kind of like, I think that everyone feels that or like someone like eventually you'll feel that where you just kind of like look back and you're like, that's not me. But like all those thoughts are there. But I just I'm because I have a different motivation. That's just not me anymore. So I think in that way, like it's really easy to relate to Swamp Thing because that's something that I think everyone encounters. I want to switch it up and no one you want to go first. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I don't know if I have anything else to say. I think that realizing that you are a different person than you used to be is something everyone encounters, you know? So, yeah, I think one thing about Swamp Thing is that his motivations are hard to determine once he is Swamp Thing. He doesn't have any typical human, I mean, he has some, but not many typical human traits after that. He doesn't seem to be, like, ever, like, embarrassed, you know, or to feel any kind of, like, shame or secrecy a lot of superheroes deal with this question of like their identity their secret identity right but that's not that doesn't matter so in that way 
it becomes more interesting maybe because it's like how is this going to be dealt with it's like new territory you know jamie how about you that was a good answer um, to no one. <laughs> i think that the only other thing i have to say kind of relates to what Kay and kathy were saying about kind of finding out you're not who you were because it seems like a lot of the stuff that swamp thing dealt with before was about well i'm not a monster in that way i'm human and i think it's easy to look at yourself and think, oh, there are monstrous parts of me and there are human parts of me. And the human part of him was just that he was Alec Holland. And so when you remove that, he has to redefine what it means to be human and what it means to have a soul. And for him, like what it means to be still connected to that world, which I think is a lot of what that art kind of ends up being about, about like his connection to the plant world versus his connection to real people like Abby. So I think that the reveal can be poignant because you realize what I predicated everything I do on my motivation is no longer true. And I think that happens all the time. It's like finding out your idol. It's like finding out Bill Cosby is like probably a terrible rapist. Right. Like you have to right. redefine everything that you do now because your mm -hmm. role model is yeah. an asshole mm -hmm. or doesn't exist in this sense. So of course I won't probe deeper into this, but I'm just wondering like show of hands or something. Or I guess we have to say yes. Cause no one can see us. But for me, when I read this, at least there were moments of my life where I'm like, okay, wow. Like this reminds me of this. Did, did anyone else feel that way? I don't know if there were any specific events that I was like, wow, like this is so like when I felt this. It's more, I guess, in a weird way, it's more general for me. Like when, I, I mean, we're probably going to get into it later, but like my blue heaven when he's like on that alien planet by himself and just like builds his whole, like the way his, he wanted his life to be. And like, it's just, I feel like that weird, it's almost like, I don't want to say self-hate, but it's kind of like that weird idealism that takes so much like, you know, I guess insecurity or like feeling of inadequacy that you're just like, let me just create everything around me. And then really realizing how inadequate it really is, like how he can't get her smile right. And like how he goes into this place of like wanting to not deal with that like that I think I felt the most about that just because I feel like I think that's what I'm most afraid of doing and I think I do that so like maybe not in terms of events but I definitely felt connected to Swamp Thing and it like made me feel things that I'm just like wow these are familiar feelings right Jamie Nolan how about you guys are you asking about emotional investment in anything or just emotional? Well, um, I guess I'm asking, did, uh, you know, reading the moment where, uh, you know, we're analyzing the moment where he sort of realized that he's not human or, or you know, that uh, his humanity is in question and sort of just saying, did that remind, did that bring up feelings for anyone in their own life about their own life? I can't think of a specific moment, but I think that the feeling of realizing everything you knew was a lie is very relatable. Right. It's like it, it, even like on a small scale, like even when I'm in a class and I read some article and it's like the founding fathers were racist. And I'm like, oh, everything I knew about like mm -hmm. what right, I thought our yeah. society is not true anymore. Yeah. And I keep giving like historical references to racism as my framework for some reason. Mm -hmm. But we're on a historical references kick, you and I. Jamie, you and I are always, you know, how do you know that? In sync, in yeah. sync, like the band. Exactly. Um, you can totally be Justin. I will be JC. It's oh, that's gonna so be mine. Thank you. I, well, Jamie, of course you totally be Justin. But I do think there is a very, e it's very easy to sympathize with the emotional concept that everything I've known, even about yourself, is right. a lie. It's even like if you've done something mean to someone else and they're like, you said this to me. And then you're like, oh, so I was the asshole in that situation. Yeah. Well, that's awkward. So I think it's very relatable, even if it's not, I'm learning I'm a plant more than I'm a human. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, for me, it brought up a lot of stuff. I'd say there were like four or five instances like in my life mm-hmm. that I was like, holy shit, right. I sort of had this realization like things are, are different forever now. But the, the one that it really brought up for me was like the most recent, which was when I was in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they tell you like you've got this disease, you're changed forever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I lost this sort of like naivete that I had with life, I think. Right. And mm-hmm. um, that and I realized, you know, being in the hospital and being sick and stuff that, you know, this is my this is a new normal from now on, like, you know, mm-hmm. taking insulin and, and checking my blood sugar and, you know, eating shit that I don't want to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, although the, when they told me I was in such denial in the hospital, um, mm-hmm. I didn't. I was just like, I just want to go home. I want to go home. I feel fine. I feel fine. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, and I, like it really took two months later after, you know, realizing I was angry for like a whole month that uh, I started to be like, wow, okay, I think this is, I'm starting to deal with this. And I, I, you know, I did have that moment, you know, sitting by myself on my computer where I typically sit most days. And uh, I was like, holy shit, like my life will never go back to the way it was. And mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do to get rid of this. And there's nothing I can do to uh, help it. So, you know, for me, like that really brought up that feeling and you know other stuff with the relationships and stuff like knowing right. I had done stuff that was never gonna take us that you know had hurt us so badly that you know we could right. never go back to the way we were before um, but it really brought up uh, yeah. that one for me so I guess I was just curious if people felt the same way you know well I mean it's really interesting that you say it like that because it makes it like it just sounds like you go sta- of, like go through stages of grief which is like it's not even that you're losing anyone in particular but it like much like Swamp Thing you're losing this part of your identity that was so inherently you and you were so confident about it or you depended on it and when you just find out like oh this is just not this stage of my life is over like this is not who I am anymore like I'm sure everyone feels it when like they grow from a teenager into an adult and when they don't you can tell with people but like it is like it's really interesting that you put it the way that you did like your experience is totally related because it's kind of like you know even the denial part of it just being like no like I am like Alec Holland or you know I am this person and then kind of coming to terms with that like just having that loss like in terms of like feeling this weird bittersweet like okay this isn't part of me anymore I have to move on it's still there but it's not me anymore and like and it's also really interesting to me because he is a scientist and it's like whenever I think of plants I guess I just think of science and it's funny because any really good scientist would tell you that they are waiting for someone to like prove them wrong like they don't want to like just be like this is fact and it's going to be fact forever like if anything they want people to challenge them being like no like I had this one experiment that's just like proves this wrong so it's interesting that like this scientist is going through this dilemma with his identity because this is what he did for a living like he was supposed to like challenge himself and be like oh like never mind this isn't true like I have to just like recalibrate and think of the world the whole different way like that's what the world has to do whenever like scientists make any kind of breakthrough like if we find a cure to cancer it's like okay well now cancer doesn't exist basically like do you know what I mean it's just like science is like that and I always think like you know in 50 years who knows like what exists and what doesn't like you know and it's really funny to think about that because we'll have new threats but then like the old threats will just like mean nothing right i'm glad you brought up the planation before because i feel like you know talking about all this and that scene specifically it's sort of uh, begs the question, is he a plant or is he a man? And, you know, given that he has so much humanity to him, if he is a vegetable, and if uh, we define him like that, I guess my question is, how do we define that difference? Uh, being as he has that humanity, is how, how do we define if... I don't even know how to right. pose that because I've yeah. never thought of this before. <laughs> this is, I wanted to say before, like this is related to what we were talking about before. Uh-huh. And another 
like issue that comes up in that realization that he is an Alec Holland is how we value different states. And this is something that I think Alan Moore returns to like in Miracle Man, like we usually think of the transformation into superhero as being a change for the better, like the person becomes more powerful. But in most cases, it's actually just a different state and also something that's so different from humanity that it's hard to even understand. So like even with like Justin, with your diagnosis, like things are different for you now and like admittedly shittier in a lot of ways, but also it's possible that this will be the impetus to help you like feel better about other things. Right, yeah, and, and get so, healthier. And, yeah, yeah, so like, you don't, it's hard to imagine what the change means in terms of value. Like, is it better or worse or is it just totally different? And with Swamp Thing, like that the next issue after the anatomy lesson, he has this moment of, of being totally at peace and being part of nature. And he, he loses that and he's really like hurt when it's taken from him. So like whether or not he's a, a man or a plant, he's in this state that is just really like a person shouldn't be able to understand what it's like. If it's better or worse, it's just totally different. And I, I think that that mm. difference is represented in a really, you know, perceivable way in its imperceivability. <laughs> right. That very beautifully said, I think. Anyone want to add on to that? I mean, damn, how do you follow that <laughs> I know, <shit>? right? <laughs> I mean, I'll let Jamie and Nolan go first because I've been going after Kathy like a little bit. I, I think he sort of, he has the option of being just a plant, but he, but he chooses not to. If he was to let his consciousness like go. There's when he first goes down to hell, right? He's going through the green and he faces this question of whether to just, he's like tempted to just let his consciousness disperse. And if he does, he'll never have any like choices to make as an individual consciousness again. But as long as he doesn't do that, he can make choices. And so he chooses for different reasons. I think most often the reason is Abigail to remain a like a single entity that is in the model of a human mind. I was just going to say, related to what Kathy said, I really liked the idea of different states because I think that you could argue the state that he goes into sometimes is a godlike, ethereal, higher order state. And I think that's like a very normal thing, a normal state to like, we would say a higher order, but he's just in a different state of consciousness. Like he's just not as physical, more ethereal, more spiritual. And I think that you could argue that's kind of what X-Men is about or superhero stories are about in general is about being just a different type of a person, but it's like, it's like different learning abilities or something. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily about they're different and they're made that way and they're not right. It's just about accepting different states of living. Mm -hmm. And I think Swamp Thing does a good job of putting them on equal standing. Yeah. I mean, I guess to go off of that too, it's just like, I guess the original question is like, is he plant or is he man? And like, I guess this is such a like stereotypical, like hippie thing to say, but it's like, I never thought it was necessary to identify him as one or the other because he so like, you know, organically and beautifully goes between the two identities very willfully. But like even when he is kind of like this ethereal God, there's something very human about it because it's in like in the name of, you know, love. It's for Abby, like because he's angry, you know, and it's one of those things that like as cheesy as it is, I feel like he kind of represents life in the sense that nature is life. And like sometimes it's ruthless and seemingly hateful. And there's a reason why in Greek mythology, they like associated the gods with like natural causes and stuff. Like it's because it seems like you can like, I guess, interpret it in a way that's like, oh, this is because they're angry about this. Or like, you know, this hurricane seems like, oh, like this 
God is really angry right now or like really hateful for like progression or whatever. And it's interesting to me because I don't think I would have ever thought of someone like Swamp Thing to represent that, even though it seems so like, again, like what I was saying before, like it seems like such a natural and like, yeah, of course this makes sense. But like, I don't think I would have ever been able to write him the way that Alan Moore does in the sense that like, he's just so much a character and not like, even though he goes through that struggle of like trying to identify humanity or like natural causes or just even like good and evil, you know, and at a certain point he comes to the conclusion, like what I would imagine nature, if it had any like human cognizant thought would be like, there is no right or wrong. It's just, it just is like it, like, cause nature doesn't, if anything, people can relate to the fact that nature doesn't have an opinion. It just is. Like, you can't control it. There's no controlling it. In a weird way, it's like fate. So, like, it's really interesting that that came into the story with Swamp Thing 2. So, like, that doesn't really answer the question because it, it just means that I don't think he's either plant or man. But, like, he, yeah, like, I think that Alan Moore very properly makes that ambiguous. Or at least for me, it made it ambiguous and I didn't think it mattered. So sort of related to what we were talking about before, uh, the next thing that we wanted to discuss was whether or not the characterization of Swamp Thing changed from uh, before Alan Moore's reimagining of his origins to after. So I don't know how many of us have have read many issues before that happened, but in the collections that we read, we did (laughs) read that one tying up loose ends issue. So we have some idea of what um, Swamp Thing acted like and how he looked before he realized that he wasn't really Alec Collins and after. So uh, what kind of thoughts do we have about that in terms of like art or just dialogue, everything, everything's on the table. What do we think? Well, I mean, something, yeah. So like something I thought was that, not that I'm an expert on classic comic book storytelling or anything, but from what I understand, like it seemed pretty standard like standard origin story to have a character who's just, you know, like wasn't a freak accident and is his motivation is vengeance or revenge related. And he's looking to like fix himself somehow. And like, you know, because that's a lot of different superhumans and superheroes motivations. But Alan Moore was able to kind of make it his own thing in the sense that not only is the origin story really interesting and it makes sense from that development by kind of separating Alec Holland and Swamp Thing just entirely. It's interesting because it also draws the question throughout all six volumes about like whether your consciousness makes the person and like, you know, like what your identity is, like, is it your body or is it the your past and like all this stuff. So and it's like what you were saying before about stages, you know, like if you're not at a certain stage of being anymore. You're that person anymore. And like, it's kind of interesting because he took something super, like, I mean, it, it's cheesy to put it this way because he's Swamp Thing, but it's like, it's a very natural progression in the sense that like, he's just like, it's not a typical um, comic book story in, in my opinion, in terms of origin, because like he takes something that we all understand and can like roll with probably, but makes it something else that I don't know what you'd call it but it makes, it's just something else. Yeah. That's what I like about it, yeah. Definitely. Well, one thing he does with it is something people have done since in several different comics is he decides there have been many swamp things in different periods of history, and, like, nature conspires to make a swamp thing. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and there's always the same, like, archetypal way in which they're created, but the specific elements are rearranged, you know, which is yeah. really, it's almost sort of a comment on how comics work and how they like get rewritten and redone 
it's really easy to just kind of have the same old narrative of like nature versus industry and you know, having nature kind of be not even a villain, but kind of the guiding force behind something. But I think Alan Moore successfully makes it so that nature isn't on either side at all. If anything, Swamp Thing is just like this weird vessel or, you know, almost ambassador for nature, but you never talk to like, you never are like, okay, nature is this person. It's just, it just is. And like, that's what I always liked about it because then like, for me, any villain he encounters too is like a representative of an idea versus like, oh, you, I'm like, you know, there's not like this overarching evil that is controlling everything. It's just like everyone is kind of just moving through this world and have their own ideas and they just don't agree. Yeah, I think the only, when you get started on it, you imagine, okay, this is going to be a bunch of different plot lines where he's going to overcome um, polluters. It's going to be like this Captain Planet type thing. But the only one that's like that is Nukeface. Mm-hmm. And he was so brief. Yeah. Yeah. All the others are always different, including Woodrow himself, like the original one. That's they fantastic. Never, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, most of the time, I mean, a lot of the time he, like, helps the villain mm-hmm. to, like, discover something about themselves. Like the woman who's a werewolf. Yeah. I was bring that up if you didn't say it. She made just, me so sad. I know. <laughs> Kate and I would feel sad for her. <laughs> just by, like, not treating them as villains is how he, like, overcomes the threat. A lot right, of the time. yeah. Or, like, in when he's in hell. Mm-hmm. He's in, like... You think like, oh, the specter is going to fight the finger of nothing. Yeah. But discovers that it is just a finger and like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's almost like deus ex machina, but it's really, it's right. not, at least it's not conventional. Yeah. yeah. That's actually interesting because that means that Swamp Thing is a hero without like meaning to be one. He literally is just trying to figure it out as just the same as we are in life. Like he kind of... He doesn't do any, like, he doesn't, I, don't, I never felt like he did anything because he felt like he had to. Yeah. It was kind of just like, no, like, you just don't do that. So let's not do that. But then, like, Nolan was saying, like, whenever he encounters a quote-unquote villain, he doesn't just, like, intervene suddenly. He's just mm-hmm. kind of like, what are you doing? Also, one of the things that we get after the change is that something sort of accepts his role as a monster, which may be, like, one of the ways that he relates to villains better. But in, in particular, the story with the uh, the spooky demon monkey or, or whatever. Um, yeah. Uh, demon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, at, at the end, the boy finds out that he was afraid and says, well, if a monster was afraid, then I don't feel so bad about it. And just like, to me, that's representative of this shifting sort of moral center. So if he accepts being a monster, then he relates to the whole dichotomy of good and evil, like you were saying before, Kate, in a totally different way. Yeah. And that's another example of that the change from older Swamp Thing in from my understanding, before Alan Moore's run, Swamp Thing's main powers were that he was tough and strong mm-hmm. and he would like wrestle and fight like the typical like tough character on a team, you know. But when he wrestles and fights the monkey, that's just like stalling. You know, he almost never uses his super strength as like an actual way to like resolve a situation. It's always just kind of like gets it, it happens and then the real resolution happens after that, yeah. which is the kid facing his fear, you know. And be refusing to be the play the role that the demon needs him to play in order to like maintain its presence in the mortal world. How does Swamp Thing's origin story hold up to uh, some of the more recent comic origin stories, or you know maybe some of the older superhero origin stories? Anyone want to go with that? I want to. Okay. Yeah. Go others. (laughs) This thing about there being multiple Swamp Things. Captain America has since the eighties been 
redone in the, along this line. And so has Spider-Man also. This, mm -hmm. this idea that there's a mystical spider presence that has been incarnated in different ways. Ghostwriter too. Wolverine and Buffy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know of any examples of it before Swamp Thing. There probably are some, but in that way, it's an origin story that like, that allows itself to be redone later on. It doesn't try to replace earlier ones, but that just accepts that it's one among a series of retconned, rebooted, different authors, comics produced origin stories. A little to the, uh, there we go. Thanks. <laughs> very cool. Jamie? I was going to say, I think that it takes a very meaningful approach and a not necessarily, I, we didn't talk about it as much, but I think it is slightly metaphorical, but it's also just meaningful in a philosophical sense, the entire like origin story about him not really being a man. And I think that it's kind of like a typical Alan Moore thing now to know, but he took a moment that you can just use as an inception of a character that can be interesting and made it into something that has larger meaning, even outside of metaphorical resonances, like something that is relevant in every issue mm -hmm. because it's always a tension between him as a monster and him as a man. Mm -hmm. So I think like, that's what makes it so great. I actually was talking to Justin about this earlier, like really quickly. In terms of just like origin, it's very like not typical also in the sense that to me, like even his when he discovers his power that he can kind of like decompose and like grow at a different place on the in the world or even in the universe after he goes into space. Like it's kind of just like that regenerative quality about his powers makes it so much like to me, like every story that you start with him as like an origin story because it's literally like he has like a fresh new body every time he encounters a new place or a new event. And it's kind of enviable actually because you would want to like go into every new thing or new experience with like a new, you know, just like a new body or like a new outlook, I guess. Because so like, it's really interesting that he, um, I don't know if that, that was a power that he had always had in the past, but I'm really glad that Alan Moore incorporated that for sure. Kelly? I don't, I think everyone said really smart things and it's hard to add on to it, but I would just point out that like in terms of the reimagining of the origin story, uh, one of the things that Swamp Thing did really well was open up a bunch of new avenues. Like a, another writer could take what Alan Moore did and go places that Alan Moore wouldn't have chosen to. And uh, just it's not a change for the sake of the oh shit moment. And I those are definitely fun. And I think like especially uh, like Secret Wars opened up a lot of opportunities for writers to have fun with characters and, and make a bunch of oh shit moments that were really cool at the time. But it's hard to imagine that all of them will have the same kind of possibility opening situation and uh, staying power. And so I, I think sort of like well, we've all been saying Alan Moore sort of set a precedent that has appeared in other later origin stories, but he did it particularly well. And I want to second that because, you know, Marius, who isn't here, um, would... And I have talked about uh, how I feel about X-Men. And, and I think that's something that I always bring up, tying everything to X-Men, as I always do, that the writers, while doing great things, and I especially love Grant Morrison's run, which we did you know, about, about five episodes ago. But I always kind of felt like writers coming in wanted to make their, who wanted to make their mark weren't thinking about the larger picture and weren't thinking about, okay, where is someone else going to take off from here? And as much as I love stories like House of M, as much as I love stories like you know the decimation that followed and, and uh, Messiah Complex and stuff, you know, my question to... Uh, uh, the writers would be, do you, looking back, do you feel that you've painted yourself into a corner because, you know, there's so, you, there, you've actually like lessened the opportunities for writers in terms of creativity and, and where to go from here. And just 
just adding on to what Kathy was saying, I really think, you know, it made me sort of realize that Alan Moore has done the complete opposite here. And it opened up writers to a complete new possibility. And if there are a number of things that determine a good writer from a great writer, I might expect that this is one of them because it was, you know, just the fact that it, it incites creativity in other people and can keep the story going, I think is like a really amazing thing. So let's go back to Swamp Thing and him oh, as this sort guy's of, leaving. I don't know. He's showing his, uh, he's showing his, his Star his Trek, Trek uniform. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he was like about to put his shirt on and like leave. That's amazing. And we can be best friends forever now. It's three in the morning here. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I wonder where he's going. To bury a body. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, so yeah. You know what? We've kind of talked about this before. So basically, you know, we're talking about a Swamp Thing as a metaphor and how, how does it relate to our everyday struggles? And we sort of got into that. So... Kathy, take it away. Yeah. We see Swamp Thing eventually accept who he is and begin to embrace whatever his role might become a few issues after the initial discovery. Did anyone feel like this character arc within an arc was also metaphorical? Oh, Justin, please answer this question. Um, (laughs) Yes, I did. Oh, yeah. In what way? Please explain. You know... Well, no, I mean, I thought it was a beautiful arc within an arc, if I do say so. I wonder who... What an interesting phrasing. I know, yeah. <laughs> really I would really points. like someone to explain that phrasing, because I think I'm stupid and don't understand. You know, it's it, it, it's the personal journey of the character within the character arc, is what I was referring to. But is so, it a no, character arc? No, 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 sorry. The personal journey of the character within the story arc. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. sorry. Um, Fair, got it. Yeah, so see, got I, it. I, yeah, I surprised you with that one, didn't I, Kathy? No, I didn't surprise Um No, I just It's just meta arcs all um, over the place. Uh, I totally feel bad. I said shut up to you. It was a total knee-jerk reaction. That's I thought fine, I, I thought I thought, I thought I was talking to you. I should shut up. I think, um, no, you I should think, never shut up. Okay. I think your remorse is something to revere. Though. Yeah, you're like Kate. You're like fucking Jiminy Cricket. Every time I do something, <laughs> you like comment on it and tell me if it's good or bad. Well, maybe I should be your fucking conscience then. I know. Well, you kind of are. Okay. You're so, welcome. Okay. Um, bye. Okay. Uh, uh, what was the fuck was this question? Personal arc within the story arc. Yeah. Was so that- now we're clarifying what I'm saying, and now I'm responding. Yes, because I thought it was a beautiful personal journey that he went on in terms of self-acceptance and stuff. Bringing up, we talked about Jean Lun Yang for a second ago, or was that, I forgot if that was on the podcast or not, but you know, he did write American Born Chinese. Oh yeah, we were saying that yeah, on the podcast. Yeah, that happened. And you know, that's another great work of self-acceptance. And uh, you know, I think there's so many, you know, memoir comics fun home shortcomings you know that mm-hmm. have a sort yeah. of similar arc within an arc i just thought it was really kind of beautiful like the way he yeah. was like connecting with the earth and stuff and yeah, um, you know sure. and i think we all long for that kind of like peace and mm-hmm. um and, and sense like of connected, interconnectedness yeah. exactly yeah 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 so yeah so that would be my response i mean just i guess to go off of that i won't t- I t- i'll try not to take very long but like it's interesting because like you were saying about shortcomings and fun home you would think that character arcs within story arcs would mesh well typically, you know, like just typically in story, in any story or any media. But it's only when you see it done really well, like in this instance, that you're just like, oh, like this is the shit. Like this is so much better or this is like the way I would want it to be done. And it's funny because I think the reason why we relate to, uh, or like at least you and I or like everyone who agrees is like the reason why we relate to it so much is because that's so, again, like at risk of sounding cheesy, it's like so such a natural understanding of like, yeah, my development in context with the development of everything else. And like that oneness is so 
necessary and like that's why I brought up with Alan Moore like the hallucinogen like hallucinogenic aspect of it of just like oh like you're one and it's like spiritual but it's not a religion and like you know that that kind of thing like you know you can joke about it up and down but at the same time like it's very relevant to Swamp Thing because it's like you never like even his connection with um, Abby you never think like oh she's having sex with the plant like you don't think like that because it's just not that simple it's very like they become one on this plane that we don't even understand that is something that people think that they reach when they're on like drugs and stuff and you understand that so it's kind of like it's really interesting to say that because like I think that your idea of how it's a character development within a story development as well or like a, a character arc within a story arc is so perfect with this natural kind of theme because or like this theme with nature and like just general growth in general so I think that that's really cool I think the stuff about the psychic Kay and I described it as psychedelic in the art of his communion with nature and also his communion with Abby and then it kind of comes on again whenever he's going through space in some ways but I think that it's usually like there's a really great connection between or at least a great communication that's clear between Alan Moore and his artists because they always really especially with even like the panel design they evoked for me like this really lovely sense of calmness and it has like a meditative quality even which I think relates to the spiritualness without necessarily being religious context so I think that like in his personal arc where he kind of comes to accept the plant he has to accept the plant part of himself before he can go back to the human part. It's not like he has mm-hmm. to explore both sides. And I think that's a very relatable situation. It's like I need to explore all aspects of humanity mm-hmm. before I can kind of decide what side I'm on and where I want to be. Because, I mean, there is a large aspect of him that wants to let go and be a part yeah. of nature and that oneness. And mm-hmm. it kind of is clear, even with Alan Moore's writing, that there's nothing wrong with that meditative state. It's just that he mm-hmm. has a personal connection to the world and he still feels like he has business and that business is not Alec Holland's business. Right. But it's his personal Swamp Thing business, well, which sounds like a bad spinoff of Swamp Thing. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that makes sense because there's like a, like in later volumes, you see like he's made up of chakras, basically. Like it's still like that's a person that's like for people. Like that's a spiritual thing for people. And it's funny that like brings in this weird like this thing that you were talking about earlier is like the spiritual element of being one with nature and like in most arguments you would say he is nature but he isn't like he's kind of like this vessel for nature and he can he's like the perfect medium between the two and that's why I think he's so compelling because you see like how human he is and how connected like even a human can be to nature but he like transcends that to a certain point even to a point where like you don't understand but he always chooses to come back and that's what's kind of really interesting about him I think. It's actually very lovely for Alan Moore like the cynical man to take in some ways a not cynical approach to how important spirituality can be to the swamp thing. And you know, I was actually going to bring up pagan spirituality before, but (laughs) (laughs) no, but I was going to bring up pagan spirituality before. And then I was like, no, maybe it's something that I just saw because it's something that I've always been interested in. But remembering Alan Moore is pagan and the interconnectedness to the earth. When he was asked in an interview, what he said his religion was, Mm -hmm. he said he worships the Roman snake God Glaucon. That's fucking cool. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, why not? Don't you know? People I, people worship like some Jewish guy. I mean, you know, I'd rather do a fucking snake. I don't um, know if it's cool. Yeah. I've also heard some crazy shit about he, how he thinks he's like possessed by 
to be fair, I, all this shit. I know Alan Moore also does like practice sorcery and stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, it's you say tomato, I say tomato. You know, you worship a snake god. You know, I, I mean, barbecue, I don't, I don't think know? like that's the thing. I don't hate on it or anything. It's just I don't know if it's cool or not because I don't think any religion is cool or anything. I'm right. just like cool. You have a belief system. Good for you. Like yeah. I don't like. Uh, but yeah. you know, he's not. He's not. He's not it's like he's he's evangelized. No, but he's pretty like hardcore into his religion though and like that comes up like you can see it in his writing and if, if not for the fact that he was super talented and able to reach people this way I think that people would think he was fucking crazy like I people I think people do think he's fucking uh, yeah, crazy, he's definitely but crazy. Like, yeah. it's like definitely it's like a permissible kind of crazy in especially in relation to like spirituality or religion because he's talented right but no one do you have something to say oh sorry uh, just real quick yeah. he's, he's also like a total humanist like whatever snake god he yeah. worships he's really cares yeah. about humans and that comes through in every story that he tells so like right. unlike crazy people who are good at comics who write really violent things he cares uh, about humans but not about himself he does write, mm. he does write very violent yeah but right. it's not like that's not the only thing about it there's more yeah. to it there yeah, yeah. Um, I no, think- he also is a humanist in the sense that he knows a lot about different world cultures. And I personally, I take the Glaucon thing as a joke yeah. because just like he's basically picking one of the most obscure things he knows about and saying that's his religion. Yeah. To like to be basically show off a little and also to just like joke around. Thought it was humorous. Yeah. <laughs> so come back to the arc within an arc thing real fast. One of the things that I've been thinking about lately is like how goofy comic books are. Like just around the just office. yeah. <laughs> there there are all kinds of silly conversations about like you know oh no Captain America can't be in this storyline because he's doing this other goofy thing and like I don't care about Darth Vader tell me more about Karnak (laughs) one of the things that comics goofiness lets you do is like secretly explore really issues and storylines that wouldn't be able to be done like if people weren't paying close attention and one of the things that I thought about reading Swamp Thing this time around was what a great horror comic it is yeah. like to the in terms of the suspense of the pacing and the design of the characters and everything you look at mm-hmm. and it's just like it's really spooky and scary and that part is really well done and we we've all been talking about like the oneness with nature and the character development and it's couched in like this thing that would be totally like gross for uh no, a I mean, spooky kids to look at and i that is like my interpretation of the art yeah it's art so thing. scary yeah yeah and like because alan moore is very good at suspense yeah. too so he's crazy good at that okay for those of you who don't know nolan is wearing a um swamp thing shirt he, which yes. he's proudly displaying right now yes. uh, bottomless on skype and um, <laughs> we're really thankful Wear your Swamp Thing shirts as you listen to this podcast, right? Right? To feel spiritual connection. To feel that spiritual connection with Earth, yeah. Or start, just switch to paganism, just convert. Yeah, or listen to the the podcast with your succulent, your, you know, your plants. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know. know, Get that cactus going. Yeah, get connected with your plant life, man. What'd you say, Nolan? Take a tab of acid. I'm a druid. You're well, yeah. a well, all their information is lost. Otherwise, I would definitely recommend that. But, you know, you'll be searching on the Internet for a long time for that one. But there's, um, <laughs> you know, there's many uncontacted peoples on the planet in Brazil that you can just say, you know, hey, I'm American and I you know, want to feel oneness with you. And um, so let's make that happen. Did you know that they're actually trying to summon Cthulhu, those people down there? Yeah. South- Are they? Which I don't think is anything to do with oneness with nature. It's oneness with something, but... Elder gods. Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> do you know? Um, 
Right. So, um, <laughs> moving on. So, exactly that. Right. Anyway. Um, so, oh, sorry, Kathy. I didn't mean to just hide no, the no, script no. for a second. You're doing a great um, job. But it's that lovely time again where I pretend uh, to be a deep person and talk about Susan Batson's truth, legendary acting coach. And, and you know, people are like, well, who is she? Who has she coached? And um, She's so important. Right. And just so off the top of my head, she did Tom Cruise's in... You're doing it again, Kay. You're doing it again. <laughs> and uh, thank God she's going to the bathroom. I was like, God gave her her piss in her bladder so that this could happen. But anyway, um, so she coached Tom Cruise's performance for Magnolia, which she won an Oscar. Uh, she coached Nicole Kibben's performance for The Hours, uh, which she won an Oscar for. And there's a bunch of others, but those were just the two that I could remember off the top of my head. So she claims that there's three dimensions to a human being. And uh, Travis, who's not here right now, and I have you know a long discussion about Aristotle and, and it beginning then. But you know, I like to use Batson because you know I think she's cool. And she, she definitely wrote this for method acting for actors, but I, it definitely applies to writers as an artist in the case of comics. So in order to perfect, effectively uh, purchase someone in film or theater, the three dimensions that she defines in her book are the public persona, the need, and the tragic flaw. And the public persona is how a person wants to, the world to see them, uh, sort of the mask we wear as human beings in order to conceal, you know, how we feel deep down, our pains, emotions that... Uh, you know, that we, that we find unacceptable, that probably don't fit into our sense of self. And the second dimension is the need, which is my favorite. And uh, oftentimes we can look at the public persona and consider the opposite in order to give us some clues about a character's need, which is, you know, defined as something that's requisite for them and that something that they require in order to survive. And the final dimension she outlines is the tragic flaw. And she also talks about it as being a, a jam up or a self-fulfilling prophecy that prevents us as human beings from fulfilling what it is that we we need. So now that we've outlined that, first I want to ask, is Alex public persona? And by Alec, I mean Alec and Swamp Thing. And in addition to that, because you also answer, is the fact that he isn't human, does that affect how he's characterized in the sense that, like, do these rules even apply to them? Kay, you want to go first? I was actually wondering about this because I don't know if I can firmly identify his need and his public persona yet, but I guess his public persona, in a weird way, is his comfort or his acceptance of being like this elemental and he doesn't seem very cocky about it like he seems very like you know this is just a circumstance because his need is very clearly to not be alone I think I don't know if I can specify like specifically with Abby or not but to me that seems like his weak link is that he can't deal with things without Abby like it's almost like his relationship with Abby makes him the most with the earth without like being the earth which is funny because it's like he gets to experience earth without being it I think that's kind of what I like about him because it's really indistinct about certain aspects of his identity because for the most part you're just like yeah he's a stoic elemental who's just trying to figure out life especially when Abby gets arrested in Gotham. That's like, that shit's crazy because he just hulks out, goes crazy and like not even crazy, but just like is just let her go or I'm just going to fuck shit up more. And like, that's his only request, you know? And it's really interesting because like he's not, and he acknowledges that like he has power and that he could kind of wreck shit if he wanted to. It's funny because that hit tragic flaw is that like that power only comes out of anger, which is how, what he feels only with Abby or like in relation to Abby. So his tragic flaw is that he could be this very quiet, peaceful, or like he is, but like he could just always be this peaceful, like elemental, just like, like a tree, just very like rooted and not interfering with anything. 
But instead, because of his humanity, he helps another planet with their fucking famine and cares about what happens to Abby. That's how he just gets involved. So in a weird way, his humanity, I think, is what is his tragic flaw in the sense that he's just too involved. I feel like these things mostly don't apply to him. I think his, though I hate to use that as a cop out when this is the first time I've been asked to, to use these categories, but <laughs> he, his need is is like, he wouldn't exist if not for the need. It's not the same need that Susan Batson talks about, you know, because it's not like a person living in the world cannot face their own need. You know, instead, his need, he doesn't know what it is because he doesn't know what type of being he is. He's been recreated into this avatar and he doesn't fully understand it. So his need is to defend nature, but he has to, like, figure that out gradually, you Mm -hmm. know. And his public persona is sort of the same as it or close to what it was before Swamp Thing, before Alan Moore's run, as I understand it. Just defender of the bayou, not of nature as a whole, Mm -hmm. not of our planet. And then there, I don't know if there is a tragic flaw because, like, he doesn't suffer most of the limitations that a human being suffers, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's a difficult and and so, therefore, interesting question with regards to Swamp Thing because I, I wonder if the categories apply to him. Like, even, even the things that he's afraid of, like fire uh, aren't as much of a hindrance as they are for uh, they would be for a human being yeah but okay like your um insight that he's afraid of being alone i think is sort of interesting because i like is he motivated by is he afraid of losing the memories and the identity of being alec collins or is he is he not like is it just an exploration of like what am i now let me figure it out or is there some fear or need involved in that like does he need to figure out who he is or is that just part of his path like i don't i don't really know how to answer the question either that's just those i mean the well I he thinking. like he willingly adapts the name alec collins even when he knows that he's not alec collins because but is he alec collins well he has his consciousness right right but like he's not alec collins in the sense that like that's in the sense that alec collins in heaven then he meets alec collins in heaven well, yeah, that too, but it's it's like, you know, like, it's just not, it's like, it's the same way, like, if someone makes art, it kind of isn't you anymore. It's just like this external thing. So you can, like, see it and you can interact with it, but it's not yours anymore. It's just there. So, like, Alec Collin was who he was in a sense, but then once he gets to the point where it's like, oh, I have to bury his body because I need to give him peace. That's right. like, that's just like, you're not me. Like, I'm something else. And I thought it was interesting that he adapted the name anyway for the sake of Abby's comfort because it meant that it didn't matter to him who he was or like if he was Alec Holland or not he didn't give a shit it was just kind of like I understand what I am if it makes you happier to call me Alec than just do that because you know calling someone swamp thing might not be as you know easy or whatever but like I think that that was a really sensitive thing and a very like um, I, I guess lack for lack of a better word mature because he's just like I accept I'm not Alec Holland but if it makes you feel better go ahead Going back to the public persona, I think that my first inclination would have been when I first met Alec Holland to say he wanted to be perceived as Alec Holland or he wanted to be perceived as human. And then it feels like as the progression of the story went and as he became in touch with his kind of godlike ability to reincarnate himself anywhere, plant self, he kind of wanted to be perceived as like this non-arrogant God type figure because a lot of times where he's talking to Abby and she'll be saying something and he'll be like yeah I just want to help she'll be like I want to help the world and he's like yeah me too and then there was like a, like a little speech bubble where it's like Abby could tell he wanted to say more about 
his like immense power to save the world and he didn't want to talk about it. And I think that his need, I would say if I had to just be real about it is that his need is Abby because he goes so crazy whenever she's taken away and whenever she's being hurt. And I think that his flaw is the humanity inside of him that like he can't stop and accept nature in a godlike sense whenever Abby's taken, but that he has to be human and be angry and create a fuss. I think that his humanity is the part that holds him back from becoming that comfortable well kind of I guess at the end he kind of falls in with it he kind of accepts that like as a god you can't really change things because that's how it works like you're supposed to stay back and observe and be one as opposed to being involved so I think that he kind of accepts that but I think within the scene in the whole issue or two with Abby it's shown that his inherent humanness is what keeps him from ultimately like I don't know maybe not getting Abby maybe that's wrong but I think his humanness is something that keeps him from becoming the God that he has become in touch with mm-hmm. in the issues we read. Right. It's so interesting because we all have such a different opinion about this. And I agree with kind of everyone uh, equally and then see everyone's points, but I guess I'm most opposed to Nolan's, I think, um, because I, I, I sort of feel like, you know, when I was writing this question, I was like, shit, this isn't a human being. I'm like, he, this doesn't apply. Therefore, unfortunately, I didn't have the time to really sit down and discuss uh, the three dimensions um, that we're talking about now with anybody. So I would normally have it all figured out and and, and try to sound smart. So um, this I'm coming up with kind of on the fly. But in the, the, the sections that I read, I kind of felt like the public persona was... I'm going to save the day. I'm here to fix things. I'm here to make things better. I'm here to solve the problem. And I kind of thought the need by doing these things for people is to feel connected and, and to be more specific, to be, to feel connected to his humanity. And for, you know, however we define this being, I think, or I, I at least have a feeling that the connection that he has with Abby and then the communion, which I, I love the word that you use, Jamie, um, that, that he experiences with her helps him to feel more human. And that is something that he needs that maybe other swamp things didn't need. It's something that makes this swamp thing uh, unique. And the thing that's sort of confusing me is the jam up, because I, I think the jam up might be, see, the thing is, this might be too circumstantial. The issue with Alec Holland, you know, the, the fact, the realization that that's not him and the, the sort of post-traumatic stress from that, that's preventing him from connecting with his humanity because it makes him feel less human. We see him sort of overcome that and we, and we see, we do see him achieve his need, I think at one point and mm. it, it's satisfying. It does end well. So it's really hard to say what his tragic flaw is or what his jam up is. Also because I think he comes to terms with this jam up. So it's almost like, is it even a jam up anymore? Because he comes to terms with it. But at first, it was very clearly just like, am I human or am I plant? And like, you know, just like, what do I reconcile? And like, do I, am I willing to like, let go of Alec Collins' memories just to become one with the earth? Or should I like, and you know, like, because that seems to be the only option after a while. But Alan Moore takes it so much farther because he didn't give Swamp Thing an option to be human. So then he has to kind of have these two parts of him. And Swamp Thing could like, I think Nolan was saying this before, he had the option to just, you know, become plant life like if he wanted to and just like be at peace like that I don't think he had set up like a strong relationship with Abby yet necessarily maybe like a strong friendship but something made him choose to like have this difficult like this difficulty so I feel like it's weird because his jam up and his need are almost the same in the sense that he chose this life like he chose this way of being and then after a while it's like yeah he needs Abby 
And then his jam up is that like he can't like interact with her on like a normal like in the normal world like they have to live in the swamp together. But is that even a jam up? Because does they care? She like, likes it, you know. She yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the thing that we um, can agree on for this is that it's more difficult to determine than, than usual. And it's in this case, it's more difficult to determine than usual, not because of poor writing, but because of great writing. I did want to get into Abby Moore and um, mm-hmm. how, how it helps ground him and affect his humanity. And during the X-Men podcast, I asked a shitload of questions very quickly to everyone to answer them <laughs> myself. But I'm not going to do that this time, but I am just letting you guys know which ones I'm going to skip. So, I, you know, I would really like to talk about that. And Floronic Man and Sunderland, I really wanted to get into because I just mm-hmm. thought they were such great villains. Yeah, um, so for sure. Can we, I, I know I said it before to restrict two sentences, but can we restrict to one sentence and actually do it this time? Oh, and just shit. talk okay, about yeah, yeah. the villain thing. Okay, go. I like the villains because with Sunderland, it's kind of the power hungry industry part of humanity that he represented that didn't want to care about the deeper details or science. And then I liked the Flonic Man because he so thought that he was doing the right thing with the world or nature and he just was so misguided and that's a very human trait as well. Kathy? <laughs> Sunderland is great because it's like uh, unapologetic progressive th- the slam <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm a uh, knee-jerk liberal and so <laughs> I was on board with just uh He's dumb and he thinks it's great to be dumb, but it turns out being dumb is what got him smooshed uh, by a swamp thing. And which means that this is a compound sentence. And so it's just one. The the Floronic Man is great uh, as uh, another person who can't get over their own personal motivations. Um, so he's uh, he misses out on communing with nature because he thinks that he knows what he's doing and he has his own agenda, period. Full stop. Jamie? Um, I think Sunderland's great because if you're a nerd, you believe being smart and understanding stuff is the best way to do it. And he didn't. And he got killed. So that was great. Um, And then I think Floronic Man's great because he kind of is the same as Swamp Thing in the sense that he tries to commune with nature. But then his flaw is that he was so human with nature that it wasn't what nature would have done. Nolan? I like Floronic Man a lot. For one thing, he is what what you could criticize Swamp Thing for claiming to be, mm-hmm. but he actually is delusional, whereas Swamp Thing is portrayed by contrast mm-hmm. as accurately perceiving the desires of nature. For another, I love when he gets pathetic and the Justice League comes down to take him away and he like tries to like make himself Yeah. Better. That was so great. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That whole scene is so great. They were both really awesome villains. And Jamie, I, from hearing Nolan just talk right now, I was like, hey, that kind of reminded me of the whole Buffy Faith thing a little bit. Yes. No, I think that... How they can contrast each other? I think he's definitely the Faith to the Buffy. Like, he has the same nature situation. Like, he has the same communion with nature, but it goes opposite right I yeah the best way to put it totally and i just you know i i just kept reading this and i was like wow if only eliza jushku could be as sexy as veronic <laughs> man we'd have something here okay so let's talk about the art i have some kathy questions here how well did the art serve the story especially in terms of the horror element like the moment Nolan mentioned before where floronic man has tried to spray his face back on is mm-hmm. really horrific and just done executed really well and to close it off it's pretty interesting that the artist changed shortly after more came on board mm-hmm. and so you have like a change in the whole atmosphere when swamp thing is being swamp thing instead of ella colland the art is always appropriate to the story that is being told which means that it is beautiful and psychedelic 
when the story calls for it and it's also horrific and disgusting and actually I was eating once and reading one of the panels about I think it was nuke face and even though I didn't love his story I was like this is the most gross thing I've ever seen in the best possible way right for me I almost didn't notice the art as I was reading it and that's an actual really huge compliment that I can give the artist because it was just so well weaved with a story I guess is what I'm trying to say and that you know when I did stop to look at it on purpose knowing we were going to talk a little bit about it I was like wow this is such amazing art and you know I was struck by all the covers and, and struck by all the splash pages but it just worked so well with the story that you know there were times you know I didn't notice it and I, and I guess that's what's so great about the comics medium that it can do that sometimes right i think the art is fucking crazy good groundbreaking there's even. no cursing on comics verse <laughs> that's not true he's lying to you there's lots joke. of cursing alan moore is actually known for this is something that he's famous for tyrannizing his artists and like micromanaging yes. them but also respecting them in this weird contradictory combination i think in one really amazing aspect of the art she's in swamp thing is that it's dreamlike it has a yes. dream logic especially in those first two volumes when the character is being established mm -hmm. that just like seamlessly affects you and you don't think about it much but it affects you on the level of like dream logic, not like real world concrete logic. Cool point. Yeah, very cool point. It's very in tune with the psychedelic elements and like a dreamlike kind of otherworldliness that is very inherent in our world. We just don't see it. And also just, I think this was something that no one was saying. It's just like, I love the panel designs. Like I'm glad that Alan Moore is so particular about how he does things because it just turns out exactly like the way I want it to. <laughs> As someone who had uh, written a page, uh, not a page, I've written a paper on Watchmen before. The panels in Watchmen are they repeat so often, and the, and they're very often. Uh, help me out here, Catherine. They very rarely like deviate from a pattern of nine panels on a page. And it was interesting for me to see all these to see an Alan Moore work where there was such interesting panel and layout design. It doesn't follow that set rule of nine panels per page. It's way weirder than that. It's oh, okay. like, it goes like way out there, Swamp Thing, with like backgrounds and, right. and like lines shaping the borders of the panels yeah. and shit. Oh, like, and those beer, yeah. were, were those beer glasses? No, or was that, what was that? They were definitely like, there was like bookends in the first volume, right. like in the first chapter, it was like bookended. It's um, really cool. Overall, uh, how did you like the comic? And if you didn't like it, although I know everyone here did, why not? But really, overall, how did you like it? And a quick answer. Nolan. I like that it broke the back of the Comics Code Authority and also laid the groundwork for Sandman, which is pretty much yes. the I fucking love Sandman. Mm -hmm. Listen to our Sandman Origins podcast episode please. Jamie. I think I'm definitely a part of the love it camp. I have to say, I think I love it because one of the things I always love about something I've read from Alan Moore is that he always seems to have this thing with his artist where he finds this communion between the both of them that I never feel like there's this big divide between them. And I think that the way those things are unified always makes me enjoy everything he does better. And I also love the origin story change. The first time I read it, I, I liked it for the how imaginative it was and uh, definitely some of the political storylines I appreciated. And then this this most recent time, I was totally into the horror aspect and how spooky it really was. Yeah, for me, I would say the metaphor of his metamorphosis um, was what really drew me to it. Is this a book that you would recommend to others? I think it's an interesting question. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Just unreservedly. <laughs> Everyone unanimous. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I would totally. too. I yeah. would. I, it's amazing. All right, you guys, how drunk would you have to be to have sex with Swamp Thing? I would need to be sober because I want to remember every second of it. Yeah, I wouldn't have to be very drunk at all. Right. 
Yeah, I guess it. I mean, it depends. I was. I'm glad we talked about this because we talked about the chicken. Yeah, so it's just tripping. Yeah, no, Nolan is looking at me like I have five heads right now. Does sex with him mean like he like wraps you in like roots and then you like? No, it's like you little. eat his. I didn't, I, I didn't think you that eat much his about potatoes. Yeah. You eat his potatoes and you trip. Yeah, <laughs> that's having sex with him. I wouldn't want to be drunk then because that would dilute the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, just right, right. All right, so none of us would need to be drunk. We would all sober. We would all, eyes yeah. open. And, you know, I don't know about you guys. I've never tried it before, but Swamp Thing Orgy, I'm so on. But anyway, that lovely thought of the one, two, three, four, five, and Brian is involved, and uh, Malia, who's sleeping, <laughs> is also involved, and Josh, who's in his room, is involved, and Travis, who's at the store, is involved. Swamp Thing, if you're real, give us a call. We'll give you the time of your fucking life. I know that you'll enjoy every second of it. We'll make you forget all about Alec and it'll be fun. So um, <laughs> that does it for this special 50th episode of the Comics First podcast. Yeah. Again, here's like all that fucking bullshit about like, Bill Maher doesn't like it either. And I and I'm, I don't always love Bill Maher, but I'm like when he does like the social media stuff, he's like, why the fuck do I have to do this? No, and I feel that oh, way think too. Think of it this way. You have uh, interns and friends who work really hard oh, on so putting true. worthwhile so things on social media and they do a great job and mm. we're really proud. You're really proud I'm of everything. I'm so proud, and yeah. So check out the really great work that your friends are doing on these various social networks. Oh, that's sites. so true, yeah. That's, that's, that was great. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, so, you know, we're at comicsfirst.com. Um, there's also Facebook, facebook.com slash comicsfirst. Again, I brought up the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash group slash TV On Twitter, at, at comicsfirst. On Tumblr, at comicsfirst.tumblr.com. Uh, Brian is working really hard on our Instagram, instagram.com slash comicsfirst. And youtube.com slash TV. Seriously, thank you guys, all panelists and stuff. Nolan, thank you so much for being up at like five in the morning or whatever. Thank fucking you. Time Across the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From Taiwan. So I feel like really bad. Um, your Swamp Thing shirt is awesome. I, you know, I wish Swamp Thing could just jump out the Skype to us. Jamie, as always, you're fucking amazing. Um, Ops. Yeah. Ops. What? Ops. ops. Short for obviously. Oh, ops. Oh, uh, I think you were saying ops. I was like, oh, ops. I, special ops. Like, is this like a black ops, ops. thing? I'm like know, telling like Jamie how awesome she is. I understand each other. Okay, <laughs> like yeah. special ops. Eagles didn't go. Special ops comics first. Um, <laughs> Jamie, uh, uh, Kay, again, so thankful for you. Literally, little sent by angels, except when you interrupt me. But other than that, sent by angels. Mm. And um, no, I even love that you interrupt me. Seriously. Nah. Uh, someone, okay. someone has to. And um, nah. Kathy. Hey. 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 Love you, Kath. Love you too, Jill. Um, happy. 50th Happy and three year anniversary. anniversary. Yeah. 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 Sure. Awesome. I, I have a little sign off. Oh, yeah. Hold on. I'm almost there. I planned <laughs> okay. for that. Yeah. So, anyway, so thank you to everyone Are we for. going to take shots. Yeah, well, yeah, um, yeah. That was actually literally my next sentence. You were oh, like, okay. you just gene grade me, uh, which <laughs> Kathy and Nolan now hate you for. Yeah, literally, I was going to say thank you everyone for listening. We're all going to do a shot or take a big swig of our jinx to celebrate Comics versus Anniversary. I myself am very nervous. So I will be having a shot of heroin. Ow! Yeah, it's 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 horse time. Don't you don't they call heroin horse or something? No, I was in the eighties or something. Maybe. Okay, someone told me that once. So yeah, so thank you everyone so much for listening. Been a great fifty episodes. Here's looking. For another 50 episodes, possibly 500 episodes. Wouldn't 500 episodes be fucking great? Yes. Kathy's like, yeah, I would, I would, I'm putting this shit before that. I'm moving them on my way up. Marvel editor, Marvel publisher, Marvel CEO, Wait. and fucking Disney. No.
Yeah. Wait, but a hundred would be cool too. Yeah, hundred would be cool. Well, you know, I, I was I, actually the funny thing was I wrote five thousand, and then I was like, no, that's that's too much. Let me bring it back to five hundred. But I would have loved, I would I would do five thousand episodes with everyone here. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, I, re- I really honestly mean that. I don't know if I have uh, enough of a lifetime to do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, you know what? The will is there. 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 Um, you know, and where there is a will, there's a way. Thank you. How I, the psychic bond that we share, Kay, is just so amazing. Um, <laughs> all right, so thank you, audience, and thank you, panelists, again so much for being here. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll. I think the next episode I'm hosting is Black Panther. Then a couple a, a long time later, I'll be hosting uh, Emma Frost. And um, the big question by then is, will I have showered? And I will let you know at the beginning of that podcast. Word. Hopefully, the answer is yes because I can smell myself, and it's a little scary. On that note, good night and love you all. Go the fuck to bed. Kathy, as always, which I almost forgot. We some people have left. Some people have left. This is so eleventh <laughs> no, hour. They don't have to know. We no one has to know. They need to know everything, Kathy. Oh, we need to be know. honest. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This was so eleventh hour yeah. um, that I just said, "Come back to your seats. Get those asses <laughs> back in these this, this this IKEA couch and those cheap Amazon.com vinyl couches, mm-hmm. and let's talk about the send off." As a send off. Um, Kathy's going to do the send off. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Kathy is ready for the send off. Be prepared. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, as always, Alan a little bit. No, thank you. How about Alan Moore? Sleep well. Good night, everyone. Oh, shit.